Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Fans, football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, there's the 24-hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hey, gang. Well, as you've come to know and really expect, we try to bring you folks from all over the sports world, not just the players, but the people who work and play at the highest levels to share their stories and their beginnings. So on this episode, we're joined by a very good friend of ours and a woman who you've known on the national scene for some time. It's ESPN's Chris Budden. She's our guest today. And Mark, Chris does it all. Basketball, baseball, tennis, the NFL, college football, you name it, really. And we got to know her a handful of years ago when we all worked together covering the San Diego Padres in Southern California. Yeah, and that was special to me and to all of us. We felt like a family, Mike, that that was really uh, energizing for us. It's risk and reward for Chris Budden and also others that are trying to get into that field. And she has done everything, as you talked about, and she has been spectacular. So proud of her work, and I can't wait to hear her stories and why she is involved with sports. Chris, Mark, and I thrilled because you're such a dear friend of ours and you're able to shoehorn us into your schedule. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks so much. I mean, honestly, like just being able to see your two faces, I was so excited to jump on here with you guys. Yeah, without makeup too, right? (laughs) About the same as it always was. (laughs) That's a great point. You've been so busy since you left us working with the Padres, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And long before you uh, worked out in Southern California, your career really took root and uh, took off. Covered virtually every major sport between Olympics, college sports, pro sports. You've seen so much. Is there a moment when you look back at your career to this point and you think, yeah, that is the moment that jumps off the page to me? Yeah, I think in this career, you have different moments. You have ones that like, that was the career defining moment, or um, that was the best game I ever saw, or the biggest upset. To me, it's the ones that I remember that have the biggest impact, have the best stories. And for me, it was the 2019 College World Series, the Vanderbilt one. And I covered that team all year and through their win at the SEC tournament and had become pretty close with head coach Tim Corbin and his wife. And why that one meant so much was there would have been a senior on the team, Donnie Everett, who his freshman year um, after regionals, passed away, drowned in a lake, and he would have been a senior on that team. And uh, Vanderbilt family invited Donnie's parents with them. He, he was their only kid. And so when they celebrated, they celebrated with Donnie Everett's parents on the field and that entire senior class hugging them. And they got to hold up the trophy. And so as a mom, like that's the best part of my job is being able to tell people's stories and so now as a mom of like a, of a son and a daughter, like witnessing that, like that will always, I will always remember that moment. Yeah, Chris. And, and you know what, I've been working with you 
we realize that there's those moments too. And having that emotion that you have with coach Tim, uh, Tim Corbin, uh, what was that interview like for you? I mean, because you said you have that mom aspect in you, but also you have the passion for what college sports brings at the highest stage. Yeah. I knew what it meant to him because when I covered them at the sec championship out of nowhere, he got choked up um, and started crying. So from that point, I, I understood what it meant to him. It's also, you know, from an interviewer's standpoint, here is this like greatest success that his team has won with the heaviness of it. So, it, you know, do, do you take that person there? How, how do you how do you split up between what the accomplishment you just had and what this was? Um, but that's also what I love about the college game is the closeness of everyone on the team. Um, and, and his wife was there and the whole thing was really, it felt like a celebration. When did you decide this was going to be your career path? And I know you went to journalism school at, at Missouri, which I went to Arizona state, which makes your school decent. Um, <laughs> but when did you decide, yeah, this is, this is the avenue of life I want to pursue. Uh, when I was 12 and my godfather, when I lived in Dallas, was the main anchor at uh, the ABC station in town. So I used to go and visit him at the station and would shadow him. And when I asked, where should I go to school? No one said Arizona State University. They all said go to the university. <laughs> uh, so that's where I went. Honestly, though, I, like I didn't know if I wanted to do sports or news. Um, which Mikey, you kind of can understand as well, like covering news every day. Like I'm someone who brings my work home with me. It was just, I felt like I would be very heavy, like coming home every night after covering that stuff. Um, I've loved sports. I've always played sports and it gave me the avenue to do more storytelling, um, tell more human interest stories. So that was the decision my junior year at Mizzou and just stuck with it through really terrible paying jobs. <laughs> and when you graduate uh, uh, from Mizzou and you are trying to decide what's going on, what were those decisions like? Did you turn anything down or did you say, hey, listen, I have to take that first opportunity? Well, I, I did take the first opportunity, but it took about seven months of a bunch of rejects from everywhere from like Lawton, Oklahoma, who said we don't want a woman driving at night long distances from going to Norman and Stillwater. Uh, and then my first yes was Charlottesville, Virginia, which honestly was perfect because it was a big college town and, and covering it. Because when you start doing local news, you know, you have to start small, but at least in sports, that was a big sports town. And then that jumped from that to Knoxville. So I, you know, I, I did take the first yes, but sometimes uh, that first yes takes a lot of tapes to even get there. You know, the the perseverance it takes to get to the level you're at is extraordinary. Uh, for folks who are not in this industry, and most of us um, just admire the work you've done to get to the point you're at, but that run you had in Knoxville, it seemed almost like a seminal moment for you career-wise. The six years there, you saw so much and you bonded with uh, some of these teams and, and people involved. What was that like for you as far as career influence? Yeah, it's interesting because I interviewed some other places during my tenure there. And I remember interviewing in Washington, D.C. And a news director told me, well, why have you been there six years? Um, she was like, it sounds like you lack motivation. And well, to me, like I spent six years in one of the best college towns, biggest college towns covering Pat Summit and Philip Fulmer and Bruce Pearl and all these people that 
I had built relationships with and was breaking news and was really good at my job there. And the best part about it is all of those people that I covered there, I still cover on a daily basis. Like I covered Bruce Pearl winning an SEC championship. They put me on that assignment because I had a previous relationship with them in Knoxville. The same thing when Philip Fulmer became athletic director or a relationship with Lane Kiffin, like all these things that you spend time working on in those six years, there was a lot of turnover and there was a lot of you know, dysfunction and chaos. It taught me a lot about journalism. But I always tell people that are that are you know young in their careers, those relationships that you make there, you don't realize how useful they are. Even like with the Padres, I was only there two years, but you look at the people within that organization and where they've moved from AJ Hinge to Dave Roberts to Bud Black, like they're sprinkled now all over Major League Baseball and keeping those relationships is, you know, multiplies, you know, your stuff for your job. Interesting, Chris, that uh, we always marvel at icons and you're at University of Tennessee and, you know, some of the sports fans out there might say Peyton Manning uh, right off the top. Uh, you mentioned already Bruce Pearl and so many greats. Um, you mentioned just a little bit of Pat Summit, and why I want to bring her up is that uh, over a thousand wins, a thousand ninety-eight, I think it was, two hundred eight losses, which is to me is is so funny uh, of her dominance and what she did in in women's basketball. Can you put in perspective for us as listeners to realize that you're with Pat Summit, you're covering her retirement ceremony? What was that like for you? Yeah, it's. It's crazy because she's the same person day in and day out. She's the same person during a game that she is during a practice. She is was incredibly smart, extraordinarily tough, and the best sense of humor you'll ever find. And all that wrapped into one. So sometimes you're around like these icons and you feel that in them, like you feel their bigness. She was so normal and would just come and pull up a chair and chat with you that you didn't feel like you were to, like, you knew you were in the presence of greatness, but she made everyone just feel, you know, she, she would invite us to her pool house to watch Monday's selection show. And she would make us jalapeno corn. And like, I would play with her two golden retrievers. Like that, that, that was normal, you know, for then. And, um, you know, we miss her dearly. I, I don't know if there'll ever be a coach like that. Like watching her practices, like she would make those women run until they puked and they would get up and do it again because it was Pat Summit. I think that era of that athlete is a little bit lost now. And I don't know if her style would work today. Um, but there's a quote of hers that we still use in my house all the time when something goes wrong or something stressful. She said, left foot, right foot, breathe. And so we always say that around here when something's really tough, left foot, right foot, breathe. Uh, that, that's incredible. The impact that someone like that, that's so powerful in sports, we get to uh, uh, learn from on a daily basis and something that is is really special. Um, Listen, she was inducted into the, into the Basketball Hall of Fame in the year 2000. She still was coaching when she got inducted into the, the Hall of Fame. Uh, received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Barack Obama in 2012. We're thinking about the impact of a woman in sports, and you're talking about her over that. Um, take us into that retirement and, and what you remember from covering that event, because that was something in that region and within the United States, that was a huge impactful moment. 
Yeah, I, I will say it was it was twofold because it was like a forced retirement. Um, we, you know, we had seen the effects of her early onset dementia um, and it kind of broke your heart because you knew she wanted to coach for so much longer and seeing someone that was so strong on every front of her life not be able to continue coaching. I had kept a press pass from um, the March Madness before that because I always covered the Lady Vols tournament and I remember watching her walk off the court and for those of us that were close enough to the program knew, um, you know, how, how bad she had gotten. And I remember keeping that, pre that press pass. Cause I was like, I feel like this is her last game. And so part of it was, you know, a congratulatory, you know, retirement for everything that she was done. But then there was a heaviness to it uh, as well of she knew that this, this wouldn't have been the path and the, the end date that she would have wanted. You know, Chris, listening to the stories uh, from Knoxville, I can see why you would have told that news director in Washington, you know, maybe your work hadn't been finished there and you weren't enjoying it so much. But you did move to the national scene, and that's where a lot of our listeners know you from. Tell us about that journey and how you got that opportunity to play at the big stage. Um, it, it was it was a, a stressful time because I knew we I wanted to um, move on from Knoxville. I was sending tapes everywhere, and I thought that I was going to go to Boston and I interviewed there. They said, you were great. I did an audition. They put me in a taxi home and they said, study your Boston sports. We're going to hire you. And three days later, I got a call from my agent and she said, the owner of the station didn't like your look. And so I was like a mess. Here I am thinking I have, I'm never going to get to the next level. I'm like on the couch crying and my husband has taken a video that he still shares where I'm like, I want to stick my head in a garbage disposal. <laughs> like I thought it was the end of the world. <laughs> and what's funny is I had actually interviewed at Fox, the network to do NFL sidelines three months prior and had never heard back. So I kind of thought that fell by the wayside. And a month later, I got the call um, to do NFL sidelines and then paired that with baseball. And the funny thing was I was engaged at the time to my now husband, Mario, and we planned our wedding in April because at the time I was covering the NFL and college basketball. And then I get this job to do the Padres, which was amazing. Sure, I'll move to San Diego. One thing, um, April 19th is like right in the middle of baseball season. Is there any way I can get three days off for my wedding? Uh, and our boss at the time was like, sure, three days. So that's what I got. I went and got married in Charleston. And the day after I got married, I went on a road trip to Milwaukee to cover the Brewers and didn't see my husband again for two months. What a, what a honeymoon, uh, right? I mean, a, a, a Milwaukee honeymoon? Yeah. You, you can do it FaceTime, right? Uh, that, that's uh, Dive into uh, the, the, the San Diego Padres and how that evolved because – uh, you're looking at your agent. You're saying, hey, I, I got some opportunities here and here. Uh, Major League Baseball every day. Um, what was the thinking going into the Padres opportunity? It was a place that I knew I would get a ton of reps. It was a little scary because I had not covered Major League Baseball at all. Um, it's Being a team reporter is unlike anything else because of the schedule, the traveling with the team, 
Um, so that I was probably not prepared for. Um, but I mean, I just dive right in. Um, the scary part was the baseball knowledge. I, I mean, I lived in Atlanta for 10 years during the nineties of the Braves. And so I was a huge baseball fan, but I probably didn't go when I went into it, people that are baseball fans are very knowledgeable. It's kind of like the same thing as hockey a little bit, you know, they are diehard fans of their team. And so it's not like you can just skate by with a, you know, with an okay knowledge. You know, like I wanted to know everything about everything. And that's one thing I love. Like when you guys had Alana Rizzo on and she was like, it's okay to ask questions. So that like, I would just sit there with you guys and you probably annoyed the heck out of you, but I would just ask you guys a million questions because I wanted to know everything just so I could be the best at my job because that, that role and who you are to those Padres fans is a lot. And you know what, Chris, uh, um, our boss at the time, Jeff Bile. I remember the time when when uh, they were pulling the trigger and hiring you because Mike and I were doing the game at University of San Diego and Chris Bryant was was there, actually, which was amazing. And you come in and he said to us, he said, you know what, Um, I'm taking a chance because she doesn't have a lot of knowledge of baseball. Why I say that is is pretty important. You have to know the players. You have to know their personalities. You have to know their families. There's little intricate parts. But the most important thing, in my opinion, as a former baseball player, is the terminology. Because if you mess that up, I think that's instant credibility. How did you handle that? Um, Just listening to a bunch of games. I mean, that's what I did before spring training was like, I would just go back on MLB.com and just watch old games. Honestly, that's the best way in this job to learn anything is just watch and listen because it is terminology, you know, from ERA to batting average. Like, how do you say certain numbers or small things that you don't think about? Because sports like football and uh, baseball or basketball, they're kind of more everyday language. The terminology of baseball is just so different. And exactly what you said, like, that's where you'll lose it. So again, it was questions and just watching a lot. And so you want to ask, like, how do I know so much about baseball? Well, in two seasons, I covered over 300 games. Like you just, it's what you get by listening and paying attention. I got to tell you, you'd made the comment, and I know you were kidding about how you thought we were being tormented by your question asking. But the truth of the matter is, that's why we loved and respect you so much is because you had that humility and you had as much journalistic integrity and chops, as they say, as anybody coming into the line. Uh, But the difference was you weren't afraid to say, hey, I, I don't know the answer to this. And we absolutely respect the heck out of that. And another person who was part of our team at the time, who I think we all had an opportunity to learn from, was the great and sadly late Dick Enberg. How did he uh, influence your career? You know, he was someone that, because I'm a huge, our family is a big tennis family. And so that's what I grew up watching and associating him with. Um, I loved him dearly because of what he has meant to you know, it, it's easy to put him in a box for the, you know, Padres announcer, the Angels, like what he meant to the sports broadcast as a whole. Um, and he would take you to dinner um, to get to know more about you. He, I had two baby showers for my son. Uh, one was from my family here and one was hosted by Dick Enberg. Um, he was just the kindest, most gracious guy. He didn't care how many questions you bounced off of him. 
and I, I wish people, he, he was hard to get to know on screen sometimes because he wanted to do the job so perfectly. Like the Mark Grant you see on TV is Mark Grant. Who you see on TV of Dick Emberg wasn't necessarily him because he wanted to do the job so perfectly. And I actually found him to be such the wisest and kindest um, family man, uh, especially that, that second year once I really got to know him. Yeah, it's amazing, Chris. Uh, you know, we I, I, we pinch ourselves because you're thinking about Dick Enberg. And uh, to put in perspective of our listeners, and I know you were there, Chris, too, uh, doing spring training games, a very relaxed atmosphere. Um, I go through a game doing it with Dick Enberg, and I'm looking over, over my shoulder at times saying, what am I doing here? Why am I in this chair? Um, but we finish the game. It's a four-hour spring training game. We're like, what just happened? Uh, we can't get these four hours back. But I go back to my hotel room, and I turn on ESPN Classics, and he's doing the Super Bowl. Um, I hear his voice. There were times that we were reminded that Dick Enberg was, was way bigger than sports in so many ways. But why I say this is that he dummied down, and he had the ability to have that connection I thought uh, out of a lot of our reporters that have worked with us, I thought you had a connection that was was great because even on air, I thought that we were just we were razzing each other as a group and a family and a, and a, and a culture. And that came across on the camera. Can you tell me, you know, how did that evolve for you? Yeah, you know, it's different. You are dealing with an icon in our industry. And so that first year, it's like, I knew how far I could, you know, joke with Mark and, and, and with you guys. Like, you, you, I didn't know because I didn't have that relationship at the beginning with him. And by that second year, when you really are family, like, I, I knew that he could take that. And then I knew he liked it. You know, I didn't, you don't ever want to poke fun at someone who has had the career that he's had. And like, what if he doesn't like that? What if that's not his personality? And when you get to know someone and I think he became more comfortable as well, because you have to remember, like, that's a different role for him coming in. You go from being this national guy back to doing what he loved in baseball, but doing it for Padres fans who may have not understood the, um, just his big, you know, just who he was in the grand scheme of things. Um, so I think he became more comfortable as well with the rest of us. And so there, there got to be a little bit more lighthearted, you know, like he would have a drink with us and, and things that I would be too afraid to ask him my first year. Oh, we, I think we all are better for having known him. Uh, just a wonderful man. And he covered in a way, you're similar in this regard. You both covered so many different sports and neither of you afraid to try something new. Obviously, he did it for a long, long time. But it brings me to your national scope. Of all the sports you're covering now, do you, do you develop a favorite? Not one that you're most comfortable in, but an actual favorite. I don't know. I mean, there's favorite for like a sport that I enjoy watching. And then there's favorite for like what my role entails. Like I love college football, A, because I love the sport. It's also the most interesting for my job because so much is what is the eyes and ears on the field and what I can bring of a perspective that the guys in the booth can't bring. Um, that I love about that role. But then again, like I also don't get the one-on-one -on -one time in football like I do in baseball. 
whereas that role is not as much of eyes and ears, but about conversations that you've had in a dugout. I can't just sit there on the sidelines and chat up Nick Saban, but baseball allows you to just sit in a dugout and talk to a manager or talk to a player. And so I did really, that's one thing I miss about baseball is just like those kind of relationships and being able to gather that kind of information. Um, so I don't know, like I probably watching baseball would be one of my favorites. And then my role is in college football, just because um, of what it, of just the daily stuff that it takes to do that is so hard. And the, the week prep to doing that one game and it all culminates for this three hours is pretty special. Yeah, Chris, I, I think it's it's fascinating uh, for our listeners to understand. There's also choices, too. Uh, I, am I going to go studio? Do I want to be on the field? Uh, I think I know this answer, but uh, why not more studio and why on the field stuff? Yeah, so when I um, first got started at Fox, like that, they actually made me make a choice. They're like, would you rather do studio or be a reporter? And I said, I want to do both. But at that avenue, they said, it'd be better for you if you took a choice. And I always knew that I wanted to be part of the game. I didn't want to sit on a desk the rest of my life and do highlights of a game. Um, I wanted to be there. Um, and I, the, my favorite part of the job is the interviewing. Um, being able to like, there's this weird like analyzing a player in the moment and what I think he's going to say and um, trying to draw out human emotion. And so if I was on a desk all the time, I wouldn't be able to do that. So that's why I chose the reporting role. But that's also the coolest part about like what Mikey does is because he can be at the game, but also do the studio stuff. So mm -hmm. I did enjoy that part. I actually found doing post-game um, studio for baseball was probably the hardest role I've done. What, what in your mind is the most challenging part? Because I think you make a couple of interesting points. One, most of the listeners are unfamiliar with what it takes moment to moment to do your job. You have this week of prep, say, for a single football game or uh, overnight prep if it's if it's a day to day type of thing. Um, what does your workday entail? And then you bring it all to the table and the game dictates really where you're going directionally with your interviews. And it could all blow up on you that whole week's worth of prep. So how do you do it? Funnel it down for us and tell some of our listeners what a day in the life of uh, Chris Budden is. Yeah. So it's, it's really just a lot of calls and a lot of reading um, and a lot of watching old games because unlike baseball where I, every day I watched the game previously because I was doing the game, it wasn't, I knew what happened in my job now with college football, I was doing a game. So I didn't, the two teams that I'm now going to cover the next week, I didn't see those games. So it's going back and watching film and calls with the coaches and players throughout the week and production calls and figuring out what are the storylines? What can we do? That's interesting. And the hardest part with the job is just being okay with the fact that 99% of the stuff that you prep for hits the cutting room floor. Because if the game doesn't dictate it, if you have a great story and that player doesn't have a great game, that doesn't get in. And what this year has provided is I really felt like it was more of an emphasis on what was happening on the field because we had so many broadcasters that weren't even at the games of being able to share things that they can't see. Things like a quarterback, a backup quarterback warming up. 
you forget if you're not in a booth seeing that and they're back at home only watching a screen, they can't see that. They're relying on me to let them know every little injury detail. Because there were no fans, I could hear so much more um, sharing what I heard with the audience. Um, and so by the time the game kicks off, you just trust your knowledge and then just follow the flow of the game. Um, and then the, the, the bummer of 2020 football was that we had a lot of great games, but I wasn't allowed on the field. And so you missed those, like, that's what I love. Those moments right afterwards where coaches won and, or players, you know, emotional. And when you're not allowed on the field right after that moment, and it takes 10 minutes for them to do an interview and you've kind of been stripped of that kind of instantaneous emotion. Um, but yeah, and a lot of it's listening. Like I, like I said about the questions, a lot of it's listening to the broadcast. The announcers will tell you where to go. The announcers through the questions that they have lead you what to ask for at halftime or ask for at the end of, an, of, a, end of a game. You know what, Chrissy, you make a great point and it brings up a memory that, you know, watching the game and myself, uh, seeing you uh, interview the Iowa State coach and his name uh, slips me at this point. But one of the best stories, uh, the team was incredible. Um, that interview after the game was something that you had to have a big smile about because emotionally uh, it was driven and he, you brought him to almost tears. Uh Tell us how that felt for you. Yeah, it, it was one of those moments that I didn't know he was going to go there because he's not a very emotional guy. And that's the one thing, like the more you're in this, the more you know people and you start and you know which guy's most likely to get emotional. He's not at all that kind of a guy. And um, it was actually a very interesting ending the way that it a missed field goal. And then some of his team was fighting and yelling. And so he was busy getting people off the field and, and he starts going into um, what this team has meant. And from six feet apart, I could see his eyes start to well. And I got a lot of compliments on the interview because of my follow-up question, but in all honesty, it was like the easiest follow-up question there is. And it's what makes you so emotional. Um, I, I take a lot of interview advice from Tom Rinaldi. He is my favorite. And he did a podcast where he had to ask Nick Saban um, a question after the national championship where they had lost. And he's like, I'm on my way to the locker room and I'm thinking, what am I going to ask? What am I going to ask? I got to come up with something really smart because he's going to be in a bad mood, blah, blah, blah. And Rinaldi said, I, then I realized the best question was the easiest question. And the question was what went wrong? And so my question of what, you know, what makes you emotional is such an easy question. And if you allow yourself the confidence to not think I had to ask something so super smart, it really frees you up to just have the interview go where, and he got emotional and, and it was great. And I wanted to end on something lighthearted, uh, and it, and it was perfect. And what you didn't see behind the scenes is that right before that interview, a, a fan threw queso at me and I had <laughs> queso all down my hair <laughs> and all down my shoes. Uh, so those are the behind the scenes that no one saw the probably the most emotional interview of 2020. Yeah, I think you'd probably want Gatorade over uh, queso, right? <laughs> yeah, nothing that like curdles. I'll, I would prefer the, the Gatorade. <laughs> KB, you, you're, that's an interesting point you make on uh, just trying to simplify things and, and make sure you're in the moment and not 
try to get a little too big uh, for what's going on. Have you ever felt that your knowledge was being tested because some of these coaches can be really tough and difficult to work with, especially in the heat of battle and they're upset at the outcome or so. uh, And they look across the table and whether you're a young reporter or a female reporter, something strikes them. Tell us about any situation where you felt perhaps that uh, it was being tested and and how you handled that. Yeah. I mean, I, being, I don't know if it's, if it was being young or being female, you'll always have some people that, um, are, are just test your knowledge or, you know, oh, Chris wouldn't find that in, like, they'll get into X's and O's of again. Oh, Chris wouldn't find that interesting because I'm a female or whatever. Um, I had, you know, one coach who I had ask a tough question too, um, in baseball. And he was not happy with me afterwards. And I remember I actually asked Mark about it. And I was like, you know, should this be a question that I should ask? Um, and cause at that point, you know, I, I, I didn't know what was fair game and what wasn't. And when Sweeney's told me it's fair game, go, I asked the question and I got a lot of, you know, backlash from that coach of, um, was that your question? Who told you to ask that question? And so that was kind of the time that I was like, you know, maybe because I was new, I'm at the point now in my career. I mean, that was five years ago that I wouldn't really give two poops about it. Um, but at the time I was still in like the pleasing mode, you know, and it's very different working for a team than it is what I'm doing now, because you see that person every single day. Like Mm -hmm. I, I won't see, you know, another coach now for another year. And I might not see them for another three years. Um, and so there, there will always be people, there'll be fans that sit there on Twitter. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. Like, you know, I'm at the point where I'm like, if, if you're, if you are criticizing my knowledge or how I asked a question or whatever, it really has more to do with you in that moment than it does me. Takes a while to get there though. It really yeah. does, I think, for a lot of us. And um, you know, as you know, Mark and I are, are parents and we have daughters and you have a daughter yourself. And we're seeing sports try to come into a new millennium. Uh, we know about social injustice and, and the national awareness of things that should have been uh, front and center many, many years ago. Do you see the uh, way women are being treated in sports changing before your eyes and how do you assess the landscape right now sometimes and and sometimes i'm like oh things are great there's so many more females and um you know there's females in an older age on network tv and then the thing happens with the mets and sometimes it feels like you just get brought back you know 40 years again so i i do feel like listen are we in a much better place than we were 10 years ago with the number of women and older women also on, on TV and covering sports or writing and, and, you know, whether you're doing something for a dot-com or the athletic or whatever, I think we've moved steps um, where I think the biggest difference is like you guys is the men, the men saying that's not okay. And I always felt like that with you guys and a, it's cause you're awesome people. B it's probably cause you have daughters. So you understand Um, but I, I never felt like I was the girl in this group. Like I felt like you guys were my brothers and you were part of my family. I also felt like you guys always had my back. 
So that's where things change is not just women sticking up for women, it's men sticking up for women. And that I will say that has changed. I like every one of my colleagues from you guys to ESPN have never made me feel inferior of my knowledge because I was a female. And I now have people, if they see a coach doing that, they'll have, they'll say that that was unfair coach. That was inappropriate. Um, And so that's been really cool to see. You know, Chris, uh, I think work ethic comes into mind uh, when you're thinking about how you gain credibility. Also, the way you were raised and the way you treat people, um, your family influences. Um, now you have to have the family aspect, which you already mentioned your husband. You have two beautiful uh, children, uh, a boy, Jace, and and also your daughter that you already mentioned. That's got to be so exciting. But also meshing work and family together are also challenges. How do you handle that? Uh, you know, it's funny, like you work your whole life to like, get to this place in your career and then you get there and you're like, well, now how do I manage all of this stuff? And I'm not I don't manage it great at all. Um, this is what I, I try and live by is by the, the phrase be where your feet are. So if I'm at home, I wear an Apple watch. But if I, it is my time with the kids, my phone gets put away. If I need to take a call, you know, like 98% of me is with my kids in that moment. There's still like a 2% that's, I got to have a call or I got to do this. But when I'm home, I try and make the most of my time at home. When I'm on the road, my job gets 98% of me. There's the 2% that's wondering, like, did the kids get picked up from school or like the neighbor calling and there's an ambulance at your house. <laughs> um, like, so I I try and make the most of where I am. Um, I had to like do away with any mom guilt. You have to ask for a lot of help. It's why we moved to Texas so I could live three miles from my family. Um, But like, there's a way to make it work. And that's always what I tell women that wanna have families where people are like, oh, it's impossible. It's really not. There's a lot of sacrifices, but I actually get more time with my kids than if I had a nine to five job because I'm gone Friday through Sunday and while I missed the, that time, it does allow me the time during the week. I can do my calls when I want. Um, and it also allows my husband awesome time with the kids that he wouldn't necessarily get as well. Yeah, and it's interesting, Chris. There's a balance, too. I, I don't know if Jace is at the age where he's got to realize, hey, uh, mom's working, too. Uh, there's, a, there's a feeling of, man, I, I absolutely love that. I remember my mom going to work and being a secretary at a business and I, 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 it was a proud moment for me. I think you have to have that too. And you're working towards that as well. Yeah. I mean, we're not there yet. I remember, um, Tom Hart, who used to be in baseball. Now he's with ESPN. When I was on my first road trip and my son was a baby and I was, I remember saying to him, Oh, it's so hard right now because there's so little, so much changes when you're gone three days. And he was like, just wait, just wait when they recognize that you're leaving. And so I am at that point now with Jace, like he's about to turn five. Like, why is mom leaving? Um, I have to go to work. Can I come with you to work? So we're starting to deal with that. But I will say like, when I had a daughter, like that changed for me. There was a difference because it was no longer like, I, I have this job to help provide for my family because it brings me joy. Like that's the other thing I tell women, like, it's okay that your job brings you joy. Your kids don't have to give you all your joy. Like fill your own cup too, and you'll be a better mom. But when I had my daughter land and it was like, this is really cool. Cause one day she'll look and be like, look what mommy did. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it, my son won't look at it the, the same way. It was just different when I had my daughter. 
Well, don't kid yourself. Both of them were going to ask for tickets. <laughs> right. Well, my son, my daughter's never been to a game. My son went to his first game when he was six weeks old and was on the set with both of you two. And he was great. That. He waited right until commercial break to puke. Right. <laughs> I right. do that's remember a, that. That's a TV pro, as you know. He hey, learned if from, I watched both of us too, I would probably throw up. <laughs> 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 so you're you're running the lifestyle that I think so many folks on the outside admire. Um, it is a dream job for so many people. The national scene, you're doing so much. You're raising a beautiful family. Now you're involved in a podcast because Chris Budden doesn't have enough on her plate. <laughs> right? So yeah. you and a group of friends decide on Sideline Pass, the podcast. Tell us about the project, what you got going on. Okay, so if you want any insight to how like ridiculously crazy people that work in TV are, when the world shut down in March, it was like, what am I gonna do? Like most people would be like, oh, I can have this time with my family. No, uh, I got a text message at 11 o'clock at night from Allison Williams, who was like, uh, I think we should start our own show <laughs> because we were born. What else are we gonna do? So it started as this like Facebook Live and the idea was, we get asked all the time for advice. And with our schedules, it's just really hard to get back to everyone. And you try to as much as you can, but it's just really hard to have calls and emails with everyone who wants to do this. And so it was a chance for us to interview each other and for people to ask questions. And then once the game started back, we then created it into a podcast so that we could, like every crazy things happen every week at a game. And there's a moment that goes viral, like whether it's Joe Tess calling his son's play or something from our game. And so it was this opportunity to share with people uh, like, a, like a peek beneath the curtain, or as we call it, the moments behind the moments. Uh, and so it's been a lot of fun because I learned so much from them. We get to talk with our colleagues. And honestly, it's like, it's just like a little, you know, passion project of ours uh, and a chance to like, get together on Zoom and um, just share fun stories. I, I think it's great. Uh, Molly McGrath is also on it. Uh, you mentioned Allison Williams. Allison Williams, by the way, uh, on her first sideline in the national championship game, uh, two very talented uh, broadcasters, too, as well. That's got to be fun. What was that like to you, to, to watching Allison on the sidelines? You had to be almost like a proud friend. What was that yeah. like? It's it, Well, and this is what's been so fun is that like at ESPN, I see them once a year when we have a football conference and then we're all at other games. And so, it, you know, we didn't really develop this really close friendship until the last year. And so now I think people want to look at other female in sports and say like they don't like each other because they're all trying to get these few jobs. And yeah, like, you know what I thought was really awesome is that like Molly sitting there waiting to have a baby, probably wishing she was working and wanting to be on that national championship. And I would have loved to be on the national championship. I also understand like Allison has been there longer than me and worked her butt off. And so like, yeah, we're all like Molly and I are like texting each other being like, she, she kicked ass on that one hit. Like <laughs> it's been really fun to like sit back and be a little cheerleader about it too. Yeah, and you saw the talented Maria Taylor as well on the other side. I, I think it's fascinating. Uh, one of our good friends and our colleagues, uh, Laura Rutledge, is skyrocketing. Uh, what about her success and, and how good does that feel? Elrod is like the same person that you guys would have been with in 2013. And she is like the most accomplished and um, lovable, best friend. Like, she's just the best. Like, like no... 
there's no one on this planet that could say a negative word about Laura Rutledge. And she is so, um, that's what I'm looking for, naive to her own talent. Yeah. Uh, she will constantly still think, I, I lucked into this job. It's not because I'm talented. And maybe that's what makes her so talented and so good at being able to have conversations with people. I only got into college baseball because of her, because she told me there was an opening and vouched for me and my past with baseball. Um, always willing to like um, go to bat for someone, give someone advice. Um, she became a mom and then I became that person for advice. And she was a crazy person and went to you know, like went to work four weeks after she had her daughter Reese. Um, but she is like, it's been so cool to see her success too. And I'm telling you, like, she is the same person she was when she was like doing Padres games or on a small SEC network package. Yeah, it's she's really- on she's on one of those episodes too on Sideline Pass. So uh, check that out too as well. It's it's fascinating. It's cool that neither you nor Laura have forgotten us little people. You know, we do appreciate <laughs> that, by the way. Hey, you know what? Before we let you get out of here, uh, Tell us where your head is as far as what you think you'd like to see from your career uh, going forward. Obviously, you've accomplished so much, but what if anything's next? Um, it's just bigger, better games. Like, I'm really happy where I am at ESPN. I love my colleagues. I love our commitment to storytelling. Uh, so it's like, I'm. it's where I am. I would just love to do bigger, better games. I'd love to do a national championship one day. I'd love to be on tennis because I love tennis. Um, there, you know, there's other things like I'm also kind of working on this mom fail project, um, of trying to put together a book that's a collection of funny stories from other moms. Um, so I, I'm where I am and I'm like, I'm actually found some like piece of where I am right now, but it would just be doing more and, and better games and bigger assignments. Well, we're so happy for you. You have not only achieved uh, so much, but you're so easy for us to cheer for. You're just mm-hmm. a wonderful person. And uh, I, I don't think there's a project you can't tackle. And we're just honored to have you on the, on the podcast and, and can't wait to keep cheering you on. Thank you. I like I miss you guys and I appreciate you guys so much. And I hate like when my MLB TV like free trial runs out after the first <laughs> week and I can't see y'all anymore on my TV. I like... That is what I, it's you people that I miss the most about covering the Padres. We'll, we'll send you clips. Yeah. <laughs> and Chris, we feel the same for you. And Mike already uh, mentioned that, but we think the world of you and we're so proud of where you are, where you're going. I just want to see you one day at Wimbledon. That would be my dream to see you at Wimbledon and covering that. But thank you so much for the time today. Thank you guys. Love y'all. You got it. Chris Button is our guest. Uh, You know her from ESPN. And be sure to check out her podcast. It's called Sideline Pass. She'll give you all the information, all the backstories, all those wonderful things you don't necessarily see when you watch uh, all of her great work on television. So, again, Chris Button, our guest. Thanks so much, KB. Great to see you. Thanks so much for checking out Major League Beginnings. If you had as much fun as we did, we hope you'll go ahead and hit the subscribe button where you usually download your podcast from. It could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V 
on YouTube.